New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Terry Tempest-Williams, and she's the author of When Women Were Birds. Terry, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. It's a privilege to sit with you at this table. Oh, it's my privilege, my joy. Tell me, your mother said as she was dying, I'm leaving you all my journals, but you must promise me that you will not look at them until after I'm gone. So what followed? It was winter, um, almost 25 years ago, Justine, which seems remarkable to me. It was a cold January day. Uh, She had very little time left. We were talking, and that's exactly what she said. I didn't know my mother kept journals. She made me promise that I would not look at them until after she was gone. I gave her my word. A week later, she passed. It was a full moon. A month later, I found myself in the family home, missing her terribly, desperate to hear her voice. And I thought, now, now would be the perfect time. They were exactly where she said they would be, three shelves, beautifully bound cloth journals. I opened the first one. It was empty. I opened the second one. It was empty. I opened the third. It was empty. The fourth, the fifth, the sixth. All of my mother's journals were blank. I was so stunned, shattered, her empty journals became a second death. Call them paper tombstones. Hmm. You've used that, these blank journals, as a kind of koan as you returned later to think about it. You didn't think about it right at the time, I think. Is that right? No, I I think I was so shocked. Emotionally, I couldn't afford to. Um, The grief, you know... All of us who've lost our mothers know that grief. Um, You feel orphaned because no one is holding our birth story anymore. So I remember just gathering up the journals, taking them out to my car, going home, putting them on my shelves, and writing in them unceremoniously through the years. And it really wasn't until I turned the age my mother was when she died that I went back and really thought about what was that gift that my mother bequeathed to me. What was she really trying to say? So it wasn't until I was 54, 25 years later, that I went back to revisit that gift. And that asking, what was she trying to say? That question, you come at it from all sorts of different angles. And it's very a very dynamic, energetic for you right now. It's true. You know, I mean... It can be thought of as an interrogation. My mother left me her questions. There were times where I thought, was it a cruelty or a generosity? Was it her absence or was it her presence? Was she saying, please fill them because I couldn't? Or was it an act of defiance because she chose not to? I mean, I think you're exactly right. It, it does feel like a, a koan that you just keep turning around and around and around. Because ultimately there is no answer. I believe my mother wanted her journals read. How do I read them now? Um, I read them as infinite possibilities. 
the blank page. Yes. I mean, if she's saying, I want you to read my journals, here she's on her deathbed, she is leaving you with a, I'm trying to think of the word, it's an enormity of information in that statement because she knows that it's not been written, there are no words in there. Yet she collected a journal year after year after year until she had three shelves. I know, and I think about that very act. I don't believe she thought, I'm going to have three shelves of journals and leave them to Terry. You know, I don't think that was it. I think that, that you just touched on the act, the hope, the attempt. You know, I'm going to purchase another journal. Maybe this time I will write in it. Or maybe it was a gift, but, I mean, not even her name written in. I don't know. And yet, Mormon women write. We are taught at an early age that we are scribes. We are record keepers. We record our family histories. That's deep in the cultural tradition. So my mother kept journals, but all her journals were blank. You know, she had three shelves worth, but there was nothing written inside. I mean, it's such a, a, a coyote gesture. It is. It's a, a very coyote. And you belong to the coyote clan. You well, can... and she must have known what it would do to me, you know, because the one thing my mother knew is that I lived for my journals, that if I didn't write it down, it didn't happen. I mean, that's the joke in my family. Oh, it's in Terry's journal. <laughs> and, you know, there's hundreds of journals around our house full of feathers and sand and leaves and flowers and cuts of hair and shopping lists, you know, she knew what this would do to me. You know, is this the great joke? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing, I thought that I would write a bibliography of the voices of women who had mentored me. Because voice is something I've struggled with. And what I realized is I had made this long list of books that have affected me. Books by Adrian Rich, by Louise Erdrich, by Emily Dickinson, Rachel Carson... Virginia Woolf, but then I realized the books that had really impacted me were the books that my mother left me without words and sent me on a different path. Oh my, oh my. When you write in your own voice, it's like, where is your inspiration? When you go to nature, do you write from that? Do you read an article about politics and then you write from that? How do you sit down and write? I think I'm a binge writer, Justine. <laughs> you know, I don't write every day. Um, I certainly don't write at the same time every day. My life is too disorderly. And honestly, I don't know many women who do. I write in relationship to what I'm thinking. I make lists. I've tried to write a paragraph a day, you know, but then sometimes I go back and backtrack it's really chaotic. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think I would be dead if I didn't write. Writing helps me to understand where I am, what I'm thinking. I'm very private. And so in my journals, I feel that that's where I can play on the page to see what I'm really thinking. It's a sketchbook. I think that's true. I think. How about you? Well, it's the same for me. Do you keep a journal? I, I, I don't. Not a regular, but I have journals, a lot of journals. I use color sometimes, and I draw pictures and and outline things in color. And then I like to have a deadline that I, oh, I have to write something for 
this newsletter or something, and that's so exciting for me, then it forces me to sit down. So I keep a little list of ideas to write about, right. just something that grabs me. I don't know, something, something passes by my peripheral vision, and, and I think, oh, I don't have the time right then to write, but I'll write down the subject, and then later I'll go back to it when I need to have something to write about. And that's fertile, isn't it? It is fertile. And I think that's a really great point, because sometimes I'm so overwhelmed. You know, I'll want to write a whole scenario or, or this whole experience that's happened, but I think I'm too tired, it's too late. I think that's so true that even just a sentence or two or some images, it pulls it all back so that our journals really become sketchbooks. Yes. And it was one of the things with Mother's Journal that intrigued me is I thought white pages. And I thought about Rauschenberg's white paintings and what he was trying to convey with that exploration. Or John Cage's, not a white concert or symphony, but, you know, four minutes and 33 seconds of silence filled with ambient noises. You know, I think it's all in the same genre. So then I thought, my mother is a performance artist you know, without even knowing it. I mean, it's all these possibilities, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't but it? But there is, just as you and I were talking about, you know, just a word here, a sketch there, gives a whole narrative. I think my mother's blank journals are an exercise in fullness, Definitely. not just emptiness. Right, a full silence. You talk about when you had kind of assembled this book, some pieces in this book, and you were thinking, um, you know, what do I have here? And you went downstairs, you described going downstairs and pulling out an easel. I love that idea of pulling out like a kid's easel and you put a couple of columns. Describe that process. Well, that was from the humiliating experience of um, being at a family reunion, a Romney reunion, actually. And my Aunt B, who was larger than life to me, I think she was six foot nine, not really, but that's how she appeared, asked me what I'd been doing. And I said, well, I'm writing a book. And she said, are you? about what? And I said, well, about Mother and the Rise of Great Salt Lake. She looked at me, and she walked away. And I thought, have I gone mad? Maybe there is no story here. And that's when I went home, grabbed this childhood easel, two pens in both hands, and wrote Mother, Great Salt Lake, Bird Refuge, Mormon Church, bureaucracy, you know, um, I just tried to figure out what was I writing. You know, one side was about Great Salt Lake. One side was about mother and cancer, Mormon church, um, you know, Bear River Bird Refuge, water levels. I circled both. I stood back and I thought, there's no relationship here. And then I thought, what ties them together? And I thought, I do, the narrator. I put TTW, circled it, drew two lines down to that, stepped back and realized I'd drawn a map of the female reproductive system. And I thought, I can do this. This I know. This, this is where the embodied story lives. And that was really the beginning of Refuge. And that was your first book. Right. That, that wonderful book. Still, it's so vivid in my mind. More than two decades ago, we sat down and talked about that. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And now, with the new book, now 14 books later, this new book, When Women Were Birds, you really bring that almost full, I'd say circle, but I'd say full, as you would say, spiral. And you know, Justine, that's why it means so much talking with you, because 
when I say amazing, it's amazing the relationship that you and I have shared through the years, through narrative, you know, watching how you have grown new dimensions with Michael and in your own voice, in your own right. You know, I think this is the evolution that we go through as women, and it means so much to share it together. You know, we can't do it alone. I think that in a voiced community, we all flourish. In a voiced community, yes, in a voiced community, we all flourish. And I'm just so grateful to know your mother now in a deeper way, and to know, again, you've brought back your wonderful grandmother, Mimi. Say something about Mimi. You know, being here in California, she so loved the Bay Area. She so loved the Presidio. She loved the Muir Woods. You know, my grandmother walks with me everywhere I go in the same way that my mother's heart beats inside mine. You know, we carry our dead with us, right? And it's an ongoing relationship. And so I think after 25 years of both Mother and Mimi's passing, I loved writing this book because it meant that I I could be with them fully again. And not as a daughter or granddaughter, but as a woman. And I think if there was one thing I would want to say to my mother, it was, if only you knew that I am more of your sister than your daughter. Mm-hmm. Terry, I have to say, as you were talking about Mimi and your mother, I'm recalling something that I read many years ago that I was connecting. You were an egg inside your grandmother Mimi when she conceived your mother. You were present because the potential of you... Let me see if I can say this. Women in utero, eggs are fully formed at about three months old. So the potential of Terry actually lived inside your grandmother, Mimi. I mean, don't you love that, thinking about your own grandmother? Don't you just love that? I do. It, it, to me, that is eternity. It's such a strong, strong connection that we have to the feminine. All men have it, women have it, because the men are the eggs, too. That's right. And all are connected to that matriarchal line. And I think about the moon. You know, and I think about today, as you and I are speaking, it is the moon closest to Earth. Right at perigee. And, uh, I mean, there's just so much wonder all around us and the mysteries. And I think that's what I'm so grateful to my mother for, that, you know, as a woman of 54, now 56, she left me this mystery. And I think it's allowed me to really inhabit my voice more fully. Because I've been afraid. I think if we're honest, every woman is afraid of their voice. You know, because if we use it, what's the outcome going to be? What are we going to unleash? Are we strong enough? We are. We are. And we must be these days. It's time. It is time. And I I think about Helena Sixu where she says, if we fail in this century, it's because we are afraid. I don't want to be afraid. The world is asking everything and more of us, both men and women. And I think it has everything to do with voice and courage and as you so beautifully represent, deep listening. Terry, thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. I love you. And I thank you you with this gardenia and spiral rock between us. (sighs) 
Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Terry Tempest-Williams. She's the author of When Women Were Birds. And if you'd like to be in touch with her, you can go to her website, terrytempestwilliams.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you so much for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe. And please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.